Welcome to another episode. Today, we are here with a very special guest talking about a house in the name of a trust. So if you're going to be buying a house and you're considering putting it in the name of the trust, this episode is for you. We've got a special guest. John Strohmeyer is a friend, business friend in my local market. He is a specialist in real estate, in probate and estate issues. Welcome to the Loan with Jen podcast, your go-to weekly source for all you need to know about financing your home. Get ready for a no BS fact-driven journey. I'm Jen Hernandez. I've been a loan officer since 1995 with over 4,600 families financed to date. I love to simplify the most complicated loan questions, making them a breeze to understand. The ideas expressed here are my own opinions and should not be taken as legal advice. Thanks for joining. Let's get started. Yes, I am board certified by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization in both tax law and more importantly, estate planning and probate law, uh, which is where things come up, where we start thinking about when do we want to put an asset in trust and what's going to happen if we do that. Great. Awesome. So today, what you're going to learn in this episode is the difference between a revocable and irrevocable trust. And we're also going to learn why you would even want to put it in the name of a trust? I mean, is it even worth it? Because, it, you know, I'm assuming there's attorney's fees and just time and effort. And we're going to talk about that. So we're going to unravel that today. So John, my question first is, what is the difference? There's two main types of trust, right? Is, it, is that bottom line revocable and irrevocable? Yeah, that's one good way of setting up, you know, the, the types of trust out there. Revocable trusts, generally you're going to be set up by an individual person while they are still alive. And as the name says, it's revocable, meaning you can revoke the trust, you can change it. There are some cases where businesses will set up revocable management trust, but that's kind of its own special thing that we're not really going to get into. Okay. Irrevocable trusts, as the name kind of implies, you can't revoke them. You're setting up something, you're putting the rules in place. And there you go. There are not going to be many changes. Inside of irrevocable trust, there are kind of two subtypes. There are testamentary irrevocable trust, meaning that irrevocable trust got created when somebody died. The the death triggered the formation. This is what you normally think of as trust created under a last will. The other is an inter vivos or a lifetime irrevocable trust. We use those a lot for gifting and estate tax planning. So we're going to put something in there where you're giving it away. And because it's irrevocable, that gift is gone. The person who's given it away can't own it anymore. Okay. Uh, Those are, you know, two main categories, revocable and irrevocable. And then when you think about irrevocable, it's either testamentary trust or it's a lifetime irrevocable trust. So from a lending perspective, so this episode is talking about someone who might want to put it in the loan in the trust name. So I'm going to go from the angle of that. So lenders, we have to approve the trust. We have to see the whole document. So be, if you're thinking of doing that, just be prepared to provide the whole document. So lenders, the rule is it has to be revocable. If it's irrevocable, we cannot it won't get approved. So why would, I've always wondered, you know, I just haven't really asked the question, but why would you think, John, that lenders would want it to be revocable versus irrevocable? I think this comes from the lenders wanting to know who is actually on the hook for paying this back. You know, we're going to loan out 100, 200, 500, 
$1,000, the lender want to make wants to make sure they know who they can reach out to and get the money from. If it's an irrevocable trust, the issue is, well, there's nobody really putting more assets into that trust. So if you think about, you know, mom passes away, she sets up an irrevocable trust for her daughter with $150,000 left in her, you know, that's all that goes in. Now, daughter says, I want to go buy a house, but the trust is going to be, you know, the trust or the trustee will be on the line. The lender is going to look at that and say, well, you know, is there enough assets? How do we know that the trustee isn't going to distribute everything that's left in the trust and then leave us, you know, holding the bag? You know, we've got nobody to go yeah, after. Yeah, for the loan. Yeah. And, okay, that makes sense. Right. And so if for revocable trusts, these are used, there are a few reasons we use them. And the idea though is you're setting up a revocable management trust generally for your own benefit. So you're the trustee, you can put all the assets in, you can take all the assets out. That mm -hmm. means that creditors can get to anything that's inside of a revocable management trust. It's not going to provide okay. any insulation from, you know, it, a lender saying, hey, we'd like our, our money back for the house that you bought with our money. So that's why the lenders are generally going to accept a revocable trust because they can look through and see, all right, well, Joe and Samantha have bought this house. They own it in their revocable trust. But if they don't pay, we, we know exactly who to go talk to. That makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Good. you for unraveling that for me. So what are the benefits of someone putting their house in a trust. So when we think about a revocable management trust, the reasons we're going to use that as part of estate planning, one, you'll I'll get a lot of clients who say, I want to avoid probate at all costs. And it's not that we don't think about that, but here in Texas, probate is a lot simpler and more straightforward than in places like New York, California, and Florida. So the urge to avoid probate in Texas it's just less of a desire for me. But the idea is if you put your house, if it's titled in the name of your revocable management trust, when you die, we're not waiting for the will to be probated. Whoever the trustee is owns that asset. And then they're the one who can take over and make a transfer. So we think about putting it, you know, not only a house, but bank accounts, brokerage accounts, other things in there to minimize probate headaches. The other reason to think about it is, well, we want to simplify some sort of administration because we're worried, you know, I, I think about it a lot for people who are, you know, past retirement age, and we're more concerned about things like dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, where that adult, it, they may be fine now, but down the line, they may not be capable of taking care of themselves. And so what we're trying to do is avoid a more costly guardianship where you have to have somebody legally appointed to manage your finances. So this is something that actually I had to deal with my sister and I for our father years ago. He had Parkinson's and because of that, he was no longer capable of taking care of his own assets. And we, you know, if we had had a revocable trust for him, we could have minimized that cost. And because, oh. because we didn't, uh, we had to go through the guardianship process for him. And mm -hmm. it really was just as, you know, we, had to take care of dad and uh, we ended up having a bank managing his assets for him. But that was, you know, it was a much more costly procedure for him versus having a revocable management trust that says, you know, generally if you lose capacity, you're setting out the people who are going to take care of assets for you. So oh, that would be the second big reason is avoiding that the cost of a guardianship. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, they'll do it 
at when they're buying, they'll say to me, Jen, I want to put it in the name of the trust like right now. And I'm like, fine, just show me the document. Right. We need to run it past our attorneys, make sure it's revocable. And almost every revocable, I don't think I've ever had one that's denied. We just have to make sure it's not irrevocable. And then we put it in the name at that time, but could someone close on the house? It's in their regular name. And then after the fact, they can get someone like you. They may, let's say they create the trust after the fact, and then they, they can go backwards and so, put it in the, name of the trust. So yeah, what could happen, you know, generally you want the trust in place before you fund it into the trust. And I'd be surprised if a title company would allow the deal to go through to, for closing to happen if they hadn't already seen the trust agreement and knew who that trustee was who was going to be signed. Yeah. Could you come in later and have a trust? Yes, you sure can. You know, a lot of my clients, they're coming in, we're doing planning for them and we're thinking about, all right, well, if we're setting up a revocable trust, I'm not going to have them go reclose or refinance their property right now just to put it in the name of their trust. Mm -hmm. And so what we'll typically look at is having a transfer on death deed that just says, you know, if we don't do anything, we're going to file this deed also totally revocable, but whoever passes first between the two spouses, the other one has clear title to that property. And then on second death, we're going to put it in the revocable trust. And that's a way of, you know, we're, we're not upsetting any of the liens and the priorities for the lenders. Okay. It's just mm -hmm. a, effectively a beneficiary designation for the house. Okay. That makes sense. Is there any reason that you can think of that someone shouldn't put, would you ever advise someone not to put it in the name of a revocable trust, management the, trust? The, the thing I think about and the thing that I've had some clients get frustrated by in the past, lenders are going to pay attention to the properties that they have lend money on. They want to make sure that you know they're not lending you the money and then you're turning around and selling it without you know paying them back. This is the, you know, the due on sale clause or the acceleration clause that the lenders have in their back pocket. If you sell the house or if you transfer it to somebody else, they can get nervous and they'll, they may send you a nasty letter saying, thanks we're for, you know, yeah, yeah, we're calling the note. And you'll see a lot of bad advice of, well, maybe you can go buy this house. And if you set up a trust and, you know, you can kind of get your way around triggering those due on sale notices. I don't like that planning at all. I think there's a lot of bad advice when it comes to, we can skirt telling the bank about this. Say what you want about banks, but whoever loaned that money agreed to not transfer it, getting in the middle of that, you're gonna, you know, somebody's gonna have to pay a note. This gets to, well, where's the problem? I've had enough clients who have tried to transfer their house immediately into a revocable trust after they've set up the trust. They bought the house years ago. The banks have seen that deed. And even though Texas law says, look, you know, you're allowed to transfer your house into a revocable trust. The banks just see that deed into a trust and say, look, no dice, we're calling the note. And then we have, you know, client has a heart attack, calls me, is upset. I call the bank and it's just a lot more work. So I've so, gotten away from, you know, kind of immediate funding on revocable trust. So yeah, you know, that's interesting. I know that there is a provision in the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That's where most of the loans are with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or FHA. That's where most of the home loans sit. And they have a provision that says that you can go into the name of a trust, but you have to get the lender's permission. Right. And so that's where the fine, tiny print is when push comes to shove. Like you said, you've actually done that. And 
notified the endorser, the lender, and they're like, no. So that does sound like a pain, right? <laughs> like it may not work out. So right. just get organized ahead of time. Right. And the thing I think about is, look, we're really worried about transferring it into the trust later on, you know, once you've either passed away or we're looking to sell. But if you sell it during your lifetime, this deed that we had in the trust into a trust on your death it's totally revocable. It's the same people signing it. They're just saying, look, if we die before we sell the house, this is what to do with it. But they can still sell from from under that deed. It's not changing. Okay. And you're right. Also, a- asking permission from the bank and actually getting them to own up to or agree- do what they've said. I've had clients who've gone to the bank, gotten permission, and then a few days later got a letter saying, yeah, no, we told you this in person. Actually, don't transfer it. Yeah, demand. Here's a, here's a demand letter. <laughs> right. Just Gosh. a, you know, less of a demand, but more of a warning shot. So in summary, definitely if you're doing some estate planning, I always promote don't go in it alone. I know there's a lot of online, save lots of money, et cetera. I really think you gave us a lot of knowledge today and I super appreciate it. John, I'm going to put your contact info in the show notes, in the notes of the the description. And that way people can contact you if they're in Texas and want, is it just Texas that you do business in? Yeah, only licensed in Texas. And if you're out of Texas and you're watching or listening to this, then definitely seek someone out that's an estate specialist. It's definitely worth its weight in gold to make sure you get it done the right way. So thanks for joining us today. We do have another episode we're going to do next week with John about probate. So we mentioned probate a little bit. So stick around next week and you can get some information there as well. Thanks, John. No, thanks, Jen. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Loan with Jen podcast. Keep joining me each week to stay up to date on the mortgage industry as I'll dive into relevant topics so your home financing process, whether you're buying or refinancing, is smooth and simple. If you enjoyed today, please click follow and that way you'll never miss an episode. To find us on social media, just go to Loan with Jen on any of the social media handles, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in this week for Real Facts, No BS. Talk soon. Mm -hmm.